From RHD Radio and Podcasting and Catholic Education SA, this is the Living, Learning, Leading Podcast. I'm your host, James Meston, joined today by Caesar Education Consultant, Annette McCart. Hi, Annette. Hi, James. Nice to be here. Welcome back to the podcast. It's great to have you back. Now, um, this is episode five, and if you haven't had a chance to listen to episodes one through four, I've put a link to them in today's show notes. Now, uh, what we've done with this particular episode, Annette, is uh, I've gone to Gleeson College, met with Kate Morganti and Tom Dawson, who were involved with the uh, Living Learning Leading Project as a trial school um, right from the, the, the very beginning, and to get a real sense of of what they're doing as a school community in terms of a whole implementation strategy. Now, we'll talk a bit more about it after we've heard the conversation about what they've said. You've already had a chance to have a bit of a listen to it already. The thing I really like about this, just as a first impression, is it's a complete almost how-to guide. It's it's a it's a real tool, the way that they discuss what they've done. They're talking about scaffolding. They're talking about timelines. They're talking about different implementations across different year levels. I mean, what was your first impressions hearing to the conversation with the two of them? I think one of the things I heard was some really key principles about change. And one of the things that really um, impressed me was really the starting point is the students Mm. because we know this is a resource for young people, children and young people. And also that whole idea about context. They looked at their own context. What are our priorities? What do we believe about learning? And how is this new continua going to be a resource to further embed that. So I heard some key principles about children being at the centre of it, but also, as you alluded to, that it's very strategic. And really, one of the things I heard was really getting all the stakeholders on board. So really making that connection with their educators about this is not new in terms of capabilities. We've always wanted to enculturate capabilities with young people in in their context, but there's some new language around that. So that's what came through um, on my first hearing of it. Okay, so let's have a listen to the conversation now with Kate Morganti and Tom Dawson at Gleeson College. When you first saw and heard about the Living Learning Leading Framework for the very first time, what was the first thing that you thought when you when you saw it? I thought of the potential that it had for our context. It was a way we'd had a lot of time talking around this idea of transferable skill and that our focus was really on the content and that if we were going to start building capacity in transferable skill, we needed a different framework to refer to. What opportunities did you see with the Living Learning Leading Framework that you didn't see in ACARA? The ability for students to look at who they are on the inside in terms of their spiritual formation, which I think is imperative to who we are as a college, as well as the ability for them to step out of the languages classroom into the chemistry laboratory and have a common understanding of the skills that are required for them to be successful in their learning and into the wider community space. Okay. So was there any particular part of it when you looked at it, you went, all right, no, that is something that can really speak to those things that you've just described. The culture, um, what it is to be a student here at Gleason. 
I think that it ties really nicely to our Gleason 10. So we have 10 guiding principles that essentially we want our students to, to embody in all of their actions and, and in essence who they are when they leave us as well in terms of their Gleason graduate qualities. So we felt that this was a way of us actually being able to recognise their engagement with the Gleason 10 being able to exemplify aspects of their Gleason graduate qualities in an actual curriculum document. So I guess the next big question, I'll ask you, Tom. So you saw the, the Living Learning Leading framework. It was something that you guys decided to engage with. How did you become, how did the whole trial school thing begin? Did you elect to do it yourself? How did it work? Um, so from the beginning, when they said they were working on the key capabilities, where we everyone there was an open invite to participate, and obviously we leapt at the chance to go and hear more about this exciting program. Um, and then obviously we also, at a very close period of time, we also got um, an invite to the Learner Profile Project as well. So we saw them both working hand in hand really well together. All right, what's the Learner Profile Project? Um, so it's being run through ARC at the moment. It's tri-sector, so independent schools, Catholic schools and department schools. We're all working together uh, with the understanding that eventually we're going to move beyond the ATAR and tertiary entry will look for a different measure of student success rather than just a number. Okay, awesome. So from there, what was the next step? Like, what was When did your engagement with the, with the whole thing begin? Can you remember what day one of your engagement with the Living Learning Leading Framework was? What did you have for breakfast? What were you wearing? <laughs> no, I don't think I remember back that far. So I think after after we'd gone and we'd seen and we'd been in the key capabilities and it was launched, we'd kind of already started getting ready to launch it. So it was launched, I think, April. Um, we were already ready to go and started moving towards our own learner profile and towards starting to bring about the discussion of the key capabilities in the community. So, Kate, when you when you see this document and you go, okay, we're going to start engaging with this, like, what's the first thing you do? What's the first thing you guys did? Like, you, because I guess you've got to then prioritise and go, okay, the first thing, the key thing we have to do is this. What would what was that? Do you remember? Well, we thought about the student and really we we identified that it's not just a document and it wasn't going to be successful if we presented at a staff meeting and said, all right, everyone, this is the living learning leading framework and we would like you to implement it within your classes. What do you think would have happened if you did that? It would have gone in a drawer, <laughs> um, you know, because it, it needs to be contextualised for what's important for us as educators and for students as well. So mm -hmm. we really presented it as a story. We came at, um, together as learning area leaders and through our engagement through the trial, we had seen students reflecting on the framework and placing themselves on the continuum. And so in a very small pocket of time, we had seen that students could engage with the framework they could then reflect on the experiences they were having and then actually progress through through the continua because they were actively involved in that reflection. So as soon as we saw that that was happening, we identified that we needed to do this further. So right. we, I remember the meeting, we sat down and essentially, you know, we, we had the conversation of, all right, well, let's think about the plan. And as a collective, we decided we're going to do this for 2020. And it's a bit scary to take that leap of faith, um, but we did it. And we then, I remember we sat over coffee and had an idea of what was the story that we were going to present to all staff. And we really presented it in terms of that through our pastoral care program, students were first going to be exposed to the living learning leading framework. And 
we would contextualize that through the experiences they were having in the partial care program. So for, for Harmony Day and exploring bullying, they were then reflecting on their intercultural and globally minded capability. Okay, so pedagogically, talk to me about how you did that. How would you do that? You walk into the classroom, you've got it in mind, it's gonna be Harmony Day, your class is in front of you, what do you do? Okay, so um, we, we heavily scaffolded this because once again, we've got 16 middle school care group teachers. So we identified that um, not everyone was involved in the trial and not everyone was a learning area leader. So we then developed a professional learning community that was led by Tom and our English learning area leader, Jess McCarthy so that they provided the pedagogical outline of what that lesson would look like. So the students would engage with their bullying or um, Harmony Day activities, and then they all have a capabilities one note so that they would then use the learner statements, I understand my cultural identity through, and they would have the opportunity to perhaps reflect on that particular learner statement. Or they were given the opportunity to, to have some open discussion about what does these things mean through the experience it's just that you've just had what are you learning how are you thinking and we did a bit of metacognition with the students as well trying to get them to understand their thinking as well yeah so it was mainly about i think this shift away from grades to actually skills and students knowing themselves as a learner more and education being more holistic and authentic rather than I only do maths and maths, I only do Japanese and Japanese. Is that, sorry, I've got to ask, is that a big shift? Yes. Culturally? Yes. <laughs> I mean, how did you, I mean, that must have been a, a really massive paradigm shift for a school to move from that area through to this area, or was that what the school was hoping to do and trying to do, and this, uh, the, the framework actually gave you kind of like a tool, um, I won't say an excuse, but like a tool with which to do that? I'd say a bit of both. So as soon as we mapped out for some teachers and said, well, look, you actually, and we actually got all the learning area leaders together and said, well, can you give us some ideas about how this could be met or how you already meet this in your subject areas? Mm. And they gave us a list. And as soon as we showed that to staff, they're like, oh, so we're kind of already doing it. We're like, yes, we are. We just need to make it more obvious to students right. that that's what we're actually doing. Do you think that having all of those teachers involved in that way is is part of the strategy that you guys were thinking about in terms of making sure that everyone was on board? Well, absolutely, because I could give as many examples as possible for languages, but not being a, for example, a technologies teacher, I couldn't go up and say, well, you're already doing it in technologies. Yeah. So it also made the mountain not seem as big that we were trying to climb. As soon as they saw that we were actually more or less doing it, we just needed to make it more visible to students. Yeah. It kind of made everyone kind of relieved or they side and went, oh, so we're basically already doing it. Like, yes, we just want you to make it more visible to students that this is the skill we're building, not necessarily the subject learning area. And so what have you seen personally, Tom, during the period of this uh, implementation as, as you've started rolling it all out? What changes have you seen occurring within the school community, I guess, from a teaching and learning point of view and also from the student side as well? Well, I think there's been a few more kind of, I guess, aha moments. It's probably harder to see with our brand new year sevens, but the year nines, I guess, who are about to move into senior school, they're starting to realise and almost see the connection. And we're moving towards a learner conversation style parent-teacher interview um, next term. So they're kind of starting to see, okay, well, these skills could realistically be something. By the time I graduate, I have to show to an employer, not my ATAR. So yeah. as soon as they saw that picture, we've seen a lot more students kind of come on board with being interested in doing our project. 
All right, so this is something when they come out the other end, do they actually have something? It's like a hard copy of, of, of something? Talk, talk a bit about that. Yep, so we've been using, we printed off the Continua resource and we had students place themselves on the Continua. And from that, we're developing a learner profile for them to show at this learner conversation later in the year. So we right, can so describe what we're looking at here. Yep. So this is an example of a learner profile. So by them place. That's you, Tom Dawson. Yeah, that's right. I've done very <laughs> well, but I've obviously got some areas to improve on. Okay. Um, so we got them to place themselves on the continuum. From then, they weren't aware of how we were going to get the data, but we aggregated it into a spreadsheet and we made um, dials appear fully shaded or less shaded based on their average score. Um, which is a bit of a negative connotation in terms of it's the progression of their skill over time. It's not, you know, you got a one out of five, you're terrible. Mm. It's more that's where you are right now. Um, and then we're also getting them to write short sentences to add to that as well to demonstrate how they developed the, that key capability. And this will be the document they discuss right. at their parent-teacher interview, which we're calling a learner conversation. Kate, talk to me a bit about when we we're talking a bit about this on the phone, you were outlining brilliantly and i was really annoyed that we weren't rolling tape at the time that would have been perfect but essentially talking about a scaffolded implementation the way that you had worked out a timeline for how you were going to be doing this and implementing the living learning leading framework here at the school was very detailed and very thought out can you talk through kind of the timeline and the thinking as to what you did and why you did it well, we identified very early on that idea of the timeline was really imperative and that, as you said before, the idea of knowing where we were going. So when we presented this idea to staff as one of our end of, we actually had an innovation day and we presented this as our collective innovation to share with staff to get them starting to think about. So when was this, you say, is this end of last year? Yeah, end yeah, of last okay. year, yes. So we presented that this was, this is what we wanted to do. So we already had an idea at that particular point that there was going to be engagement in the PDP program. There was gonna be um, embedding of the capabilities within their curriculum subjects and that that would all culminate at their learner conversation in, in term four. So from there, we then unpacked each of those stages. So we, we started with that the students um, all were exposed to the framework and we showed them the video. We then spent some time around who they are as learners and for them to start getting into that reflective headspace, that this is not necessarily anything incredibly arduous for them, but it's about them getting to know themselves better and being able to communicate about themselves as learners and as people better. Can I ask when you like showed them the video and you introduced it to them the first time across the different year levels, I imagine the conversations that you had would have had to have been a little bit different in order uh, to speak to authentically who they were and where they were at the time. When you sort of showed the video and and had those those conversations, what was the feedback like that you were getting and how did you also alter the way that you were introducing it across the different year levels? Well, really interestingly, we have vertical care groups. So that oh, when we introduced okay. this, we were introducing it to year sevens, eights and nines all at the same time within that pastoral um, lesson. So from there, it was more around the care group teacher actually unpacking it and trying to elaborate on some of the language because um, that's probably been the, the area where we've had to provide the most support, the language of the, the continua mm -hmm. and unpacking that and providing lots and lots of examples of where we can see this in our everyday practice. 
business and for them their everyday life as well because that's something that resonates really strongly for us that it's not just the learning that happens in the classroom that's imperative it's the learning that's happening at home within the community and that they don't always make those connections and how that they're already engaging in lots of activities that are building these skills and capabilities but they don't recognize that because it's outside of the classroom. Yeah, I see. Okay, so I imagine this is something that's that's evolved over time, needing to have these conversations to find different ways of identifying the things that are happening in the continua in their everyday lives and their schooling lives in ways that actually, you know, reflect their own lives in, in a way. I'm really keen to know about the timeline. The way that you've implemented this is fascinating. So can you talk to me through how this has all happened? So at the end of last year, you've presented at the Innovation Day. You've come to the beginning of this year. You've shown them the video, given them an explanation as to kind of this is what we're doing and this is how we're going to do it. Can you pick it up from there? Yeah. So we really, we, we talked about that that was the immersion process. So within term one, they were exposed to the living learning leading framework. They had an idea of the key capabilities and they'd had, they'd started to, to dip their toe in the water in relation to starting to, to see where they could see examples of these capabilities within their worlds. Then we started to embed the key capabilities. So we ran a professional development session with our staff about unpacking the capabilities and how they could embed that explicitly within their curriculum. As learning area leaders, we also identified that this provided the opportunity for us to reflect on how we design our curriculum. So we redesigned our assessment cover page to show that that was common across all of our, our learning areas and that showed the capabilities. So staff were actually starting to think about when they were designing an assessment, what capabilities were they exploring within that particular task? And we invited staff to think about how they could actually assess or include that in their assessment. So that could be within the classroom, it could be things like an exit card. I collaborated well by today. And then you are helping students to identify aspects of the self-aware, collaborative and socially adept capability. Within um, Year 9 Science, we, we explore the wetlands and um, you know they, they look at all of the environmental benefits of a wetland, but then we connect it to the moral, compassionate, ecologically aware capability. Mm. And within the assessment task, explicitly ask them to reflect on their role as an ecological leader. That was really important. So we, it was good because it's been an evolution. We, we started at the tip of the, the iceberg, so to speak, and then we have built more and more, realised the complexity of this and that to really immerse ourselves and embed the capabilities, we needed to reflect on our curriculum design and explicitly lead the students to see where these capabilities make that connection. So then by term two, the students were engaging in assessments where they could clearly see the capabilities rainbow on their task sheet and start to make those links. So then when they come back to their pastoral care um, lesson to explore that further, they can make those connections because they're happening more frequently. It becomes part of the language that we speak here at Gleason. Yeah. It's not just a document that is stuck up on the wall or on a drawer somewhere, we are living it. And I'm hearing that we're having a conversation a few weeks ago with uh, Corey and Rebecca at Thomas More College, and they were saying something very similar, that the language that, that, is, that is used in terms of learning in, in a school-wide way can sometimes create its own specific outcomes. Language of learning can sometimes actually equal outcomes of learning at the same time. 
Absolutely. And that goes for staff and students. So we had to ensure that it was just common vocabulary that we were utilising. Yeah. And it's still an evolving space. Um, you know, it, it, it takes a lot of time to, to think about because we are, we are secondary teachers and we're specialists in our field and a lot, the vast majority of us are stage two teachers. So we see we've got our curriculum outline and we know that we need to tick, tick, tick those things off. So we can be quite content driven. Mm. So it is a cultural shift and it's one that still is evolving. But what we are doing is we're offering more and more opportunities for, for staff and students to take the time to reflect upon the capabilities. So that for us comes to the next stage within the timeline, which was to evidence the capabilities. So mm. once the students had been introduced to them, they'd had that immersion, they then had it evidenced and embedded within the curriculum and the lessons that they are attending, it now came to them actually identifying opportunities, experiences, tasks that they had done throughout the course of the year that had demonstrated their growth or their engagement with each of these capabilities. Mm. So what extra steps are left in this timeline? Are we at the end of the plan of the timeline now or is, is there, are we at sort of a key stage moving forward? Yeah, we're... we're Heading towards the end, but so the students have now placed themselves on the continua and that was a, a really interesting process as well. We didn't just hand them the booklet and say, you know, tick, tick, tick. Each one of the, the students engaged in a conversation with, with a teaching staff member and um, we spent a lot of time thinking about the language that we used, identifying that there was no right, wrong. And um, it was fascinating to watch some of those conversations where students could be towards the right of the continua for, for one learner statement and then right back at number one mm. for another learner statement. We also were able to facilitate some conversations if you taught the student because um, their reflection, their self-reflection on the continuer is incredibly important, but our observations and our knowledge of themselves as learners is also really important mm. to that conversation. So the challenge at times, sometimes when they might over-inflate where they think they sit on the continuer, or also where they need to recognise that, well, you do actually demonstrate that to a much higher level or placement on the continuer than what you are identifying. So we got to a point where we, we have completed continuers for the students. So uh, as, as Tom mentioned, it now comes to a lot of data collation uh, to generate a learner profile. They're evidencing against the capabilities within the pastoral care lessons. And that is really them looking at each of the capabilities and drawing from an assessment task and identifying what parts of the task they were exploring the capabilities. And then we're asking them to write one to two sentences for each capability. How have they developed this over the year? So that when they come to the learner conversation, they're able to reflect on the, the culmination of their their um, placement on the continua, which will be reflected on their learner profile with the little dials on the the, um, the graphic, as well as their evidenced one note, as we're calling it. So they'll be able to talk about um, the statements that they've had, where they've placed themselves on the continua, and really importantly from there, have some reflection, but then also goal setting in towards the future as well. Mm. Would it be possible to get a mock-up of that learner profile statements, if that's okay with you, Tom? Yeah, can yeah. we use your learner's profile? Great. We so generate we'll, one for you, James. Oh, could we do that? We could. Oh, fantastic. All right. We'll put it up in the show notes for this episode. So thank you for that, Tom.
the way that you guys describe it, that it's been this it was a really great experience. It's a great tool. You're using it well. The implementation's going well. But something this big and this different has got to have challenges associated with it. Like, what have you found for you? You're laughing, Tom. What have you no, found yeah. that has been, uh, and I, I say you're laughing, that there's clearly been things that leap to mind immediately yes. that, have, that have been challenges coming forward. And yeah. the, quite often these are challenges that you don't foresee, I suppose, when they come up. Can, can you talk a little bit about the ones that really stick out to you and, and what you did to kind of get around them? So COVID was obviously the number one impediment. Um, because for example, when we launched it with the students, we had I think 99% attendance on that day in the middle school. So they all got the first session. And then by the second session, this was week nine or 10 one, I think when COVID hit, we had about 32%. So wow. it's just okay. been chasing tails since to get kids back up to speed. Um, and I guess one of the key things is it's quite hard to necessarily engage the whole community. So sometimes it's about we made sure we put lots of stuff out in our newsletter and email so parents were and caregivers were aware of what we were doing so they could support at home as well. So I guess, and depending on kids' attendance, that's probably been a challenge. Yeah. If we focused our pastoral care, our, our double lesson of pastoral care occurs on a Wednesday. So if we had students that were typically absent on a Wednesday, that meant it was quite hard to catch them up. Yeah. So they were probably the major hurdles. When you're sharing this with staff, when you're actually working with staff on this, has there been any talking about big changes in the way that things mm -hmm. are being being done, like negotiating and working with staff in a way that's actually effective? Um, th there's, you know, there's a certain skill and, and a certain set of uh, strategies to do with that. What have you found along the way that you found challenging and what did you do to kind of like uh, work with teachers to make this a, a more smooth transition? We really, we came from the point of view of the ATAR report that was published at the end of last year. And so we showed when Martin Westwood was in the paper last year and he had his learner profile, we said, look, in five years, this is probably going to be the case. So we can go now or we can wait five years. <laughs> and so I think once that impetus was on for everyone, they kind of came aboard a lot quicker. And we also found we only have, I think it was only about three of our staff that don't teach middle school. Every other staff member teaches middle school in some capacity. So it was quite easy for them to say, well, I'm gonna to need to know about this. Right. Um, I guess the other main challenge was actually the, the, the four or five of us that went to the key capabilities development session, we were more than comfortable with the language because we'd been playing with it. We'd been writing all the post-it notes. We'd been doing all that work when they were in development. And I guess it was hard for us to come at that from fresh eyes when we had staff saying, well, I don't really understand how it works. And we're like, well, oh, and that kind of just really threw us because we're like, well, we've been working this document. We've obviously seen the document for about six months longer than they have. So it was interesting that that stage was maybe what was missing in terms of the resources that are out there at the moment in terms of unpacking it for staff and right. how the continual works. But from what I'm reading between the lines a little bit, but from what I'm understanding is once you get a sense of how um, applicable the, the framework is from your own school's perspective, how it actually fits in. It's not such a hard sell. The benefits are pretty clearly obvious. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think the other thing is we said to them, well, look, here's, here's the Australian Curriculum General Capabilities. Here's the SAIS General Capabilities. Here's the, the CESA Key Capabilities. We're like, so the one thing, it's, it's contextualised for our Catholic sector. Mm. We said there's, there's nothing new. You see there's this intercultural one. That's in the General Capabilities as well. There's the literacy numeracy. That's in there too. Mm. So the only new thing for people really was the spiritual section yeah. that they wouldn't have ever come across necessarily if they didn't teach RE. And that was seen to be a really positive addition. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, fantastic. So, Kate, as, as we go down the road with this, as we look towards, say, maybe, let's look towards the end of, say, like next year, end of 2021, what's your hope 
for what impact the living learning leading framework will have not left on but like created within um, the Gleason school community how will things look different I hope that 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 cultural shift just continues to develop. I think that the the mode of the learner conversation is going to be so much more powerful because the landscape that we have now in terms of the information that we can provide to our families is is so vastly different to what it was even, you know, 18 months, 2 years ago. So the concept of a traditional interview time where a parent meets me as the science teacher and I tell them how their student, is, their child is um, uh, going in, in my classroom, it's it's not necessary anymore. With continuous reporting, what we have available on sector, parents can access all of that information in real time and know that we have that partnership with them that will communicate at any point when we need to. So that this really does provide us the opportunity to cha change the language, change the way in which we are communicating with our families and with our students and really trying to increase students' accountability to be able to communicate about themselves and be active in understanding who they are as learners now and where they want to go because they need to be able to establish those goals. So for me, I, I hope to see that cultural change, that, that culture change that will be able to have a learner conversation in semester one and semester two, mm. that it's we don't need a traditional one in semester one, that it is more about students coming together with their families to reflect on where they are and where they're going. And then in terms of what that looks for like as, as a Gleason College student, I hope that they will reach the end of this year and they will have an understanding of the capabilities. They will have an understanding about their development or their progression of those capabilities in reflection to themselves and that they've identified an area of growth for themselves mm. and so that they can head towards next year with that in mind so that if they know and are aware of an area of growth for them that maybe they'll be challenged to look for where that capability is being targeted or um, promoted in a particular learning area and think yes this is my opportunity to shine this is or this this task is going to allow me the the experiences to really have that growth and that progression in this capability so then when they come to their next learner conversation and they receive their next learner profile that they are going to be able to see how they've developed over the course of the year and I think the the beautiful thing with this framework and the continuer is it's not it's not developmental. It's not ticking the box of where you are at the, the end of year eight, where you are at the end of year 10. It's recognising the ebb and flow of life, that we can be focused in terms of developing a particular aspect of ourselves. And because of that, we might regress in another aspect of ourselves, but that's okay because it's it, we're dynamic beings and that next year I might progress into other areas as well. And as long as there's always progression and always growth mm. and students are always given the opportunity to reflect on those experiences and who they are, then I think that that's only going to be benefit uh, beneficial for who they are and most importantly, what they're going to achieve when they leave us. That's going to be so much more powerful than a simplistic number or being able to say, I learned this in chemistry. So a student that when they leave you, and these are students that um, for a lot of them now, especially like, you know, year, well, year sevens, eights, nines, particularly who will have been engaging with this from very, very early on, will be so comfortable with the language, so comfortable with the process. 
What do you think a student that has been engaging with the continuer and engaging with the capabilities when they come out the other side of school and they go out into the world, how do you think that um, as young people sort of like beginning their tertiary study or forging their way in the world, how will they have been different? How will they be changed from a student that potentially might not have had that opportunity? I think they're just going to have such a better grounding in who they are. I, I reflect on my perception of myself when I was 17 and I, I wouldn't have been able to communicate around my ability to be collaborative or to resolve conflict or um, a number of the things that the framework refers to. So I'm really excited by the idea that we are going to have year 12 students, 18 year olds that are going to be able to walk into an interview and communicate so authentically about the transferable skills that they have and the the abilities and the gifts that they are able to share with the world, a potential employee or um, a tertiary institute, whatever it may be, they're gonna have the language. And I think what Tom was saying before about that this is nothing new and it, and it's not. These are these are skills that we as educators, we've always known are incredibly important, but it's about making them explicit. So much in teaching, we either assume or we do too much of the implicit and just hope that these, these skills build in the background and we focus on that content. So to me, it's the shift so that the students are gonna see that as well. So they're gonna be able to communicate about them so much more effectively, which is going to help them to more effectively resolve conflict, yeah. you know, authentically in their lives. And we, you know, it's, it's a common experience that we've all had in, edu in education where a graduate will come to us and say, oh, I didn't realize how good I had it, Mrs. Morganti. You know, life is hard. And I think that all of this work is gonna help prepare them more effectively to have that intrinsic strength and understanding of who they are as a person. It was a fantastic conversation and a huge thanks to Tom and Kate for being a part of it and taking the time out of their very busy schedules to, to talk with me about the work they've done with Living Learning Leading. Um, I just absolutely adore that final statement that Kate made, which I think really sums up all of what the work is all about, really, what the whole framework is, where she says, all of this work is going to help prepare them, being the students, more effectively to have that intrinsic strength and understanding of who they are as a person. Certainly, um, I, I when I was listening to that, I was thinking, yes, that's about thriving. That's mm. about learning and that's about leading for the world God desires. And I think one of the things I heard today was that it's embedded, it's beginning to become embedded, but also this takes time, that it's embedded in not just something that they do, but it's actually the language that they use and the way they live it. Uh, I was really interested in the idea about the conversation sitting in pastoral care time, because as we've said before, that this continues not just for reflection on learning in terms of the curriculum, but being as a, a person. And that's what I heard Gleason talk about. This is about capabilities to be a whole person, not just capabilities about what we learn at school. Mm. I really liked in this one, probably more so than any of the other podcasts we've done so far, the conversation around uh, getting staff on board, getting staff invested. What was your takeaway from uh, what they were thinking about that? I think what I was saying when I first heard it and I shared with you is this whole idea about change. And I think I even heard Kate say it's a cultural change, it's a cultural shift. And if you don't want something to sit on a table 
and just become something that gathers dust. You really have to involve people, stakeholders, in the journey with you. So I heard a sense of where are we going to put our energies, how we're going to tap into what's important to the educators in our school, and it is learning, and it is the young people. And so putting resources in terms of time, planning it out with people, finding, making it really live in the school, that's obviously been a priority there at Gleeson. Mm. I also really like too that they, they talked about the way in which um, they did identify that it is a big cultural shift. It's not just simply uh, moving from the idea of ACARA and the ACARA capabilities to just adding that extra one on and adding a little bit of rewording to that. It really is about, you talk about ch change, but it really is a bigger change, a much more uh, fundamental change with how they're looking at it. And the opportunities that that presents to uh, move more into capabilities as the, as the main area in order to really drive capability in the students. I certainly heard that, that sense that um, in a secondary setting, perhaps because we have specialist teachers, that there might be uh, an overemphasis on content. So that's really what we're talking about, moving away from an overemphasis on content through to actual capabilities, because that's the really deep, rich learning. And then you learn content through developing capabilities. One of the things I really heard too was really about the role of the adult in, in um, supporting young people. And I heard um, words like challenge, support, um, helping them evidence, words like, actually, I think I have seen you do that. An example of that is this. So the, the educator is not passive in this. The educator doesn't sort of take over the capability continua, but they're actually help children in that space to um, place themselves, as they use the term uh, in Gleason, um, in a phase and then think about what opportunities um, can we have to further develop and evidence these capabilities. As someone who has worked so closely uh, developing this work and working with these trial schools, when you hear uh, a school talking about having gone quite a fair distance down this road and having really great success with, with the work they're doing at this particular point, even considering, as, as Tom alludes to a lot in there about COVID and what that did and how that changed the amount of students that were present for those for those sessions that, that they could do in working through it. How does it make you feel to, to hear about uh, really good, strong, positive and meaningful development in this space? Look, I think I feel excited um, for everybody, for all of the people in that community. And um, what I'm most excited about that I can hear those key principles where this continuum emerged are being lived out. Principles about um, who the resource is for, that uh, young people have agency, that uh, it's about being in relationships. So it's not something done in isolation, that young people develop their capabilities with other people and that adults in their life have a place in helping them um, reflect and um, think about who they are as a, a, a thriving person, a capable learner and a leader for the world God desires. Well, you're going to end with that. There's nowhere else for us to go. You've ended with the wonderful overall mission statement there. Um, so next time we come back, we're going to be at Tennyson Woods Catholic School in Richmond. So a, a very different perspective again, a much more primary perspective. So um, thank you, Annette. 
Um, and great to have you on board. Will you, co- will you come back? I feel like we're on a game show. Oh, I would love to. Thank you, James. <laughs> uh, the Living Learning Leading Podcast is produced by me, James Meston, for ArchD Radio and Podcasting in partnership with Catholic Education SA. For full music credits for this episode, please check the show notes. If you enjoy this podcast, I think you'll also really like the School Life Podcast, where we visit South Australian Catholic primary and secondary schools and explore the different aspects of school life from the student's point of view. I'll put a link to that in our show notes too. Thanks for listening. I'll see you in a few weeks where we'll be visiting Tennyson Woods Catholic School like we said before uh, in the next Living Learning Leading episode. We'll see you then. Mm-hmm.